Greetings, everyone. It is now time for Mark Safe, tales of your very favorite and most beloved man-made disasters. On Mark Safe, we discuss events and details that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Please listen responsibly. And now, here with your hosts, Brianne and Melanie, this is Mark Safe. Melanie. Hi. Good evening. Coming to you guys for the third consecutive week, putting somebody's sick voice directly in your ear holes. Yes. Craziness. <sighs> and it's going to be four because we're recording two tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, people are really getting the short end of the stick when we are sick and we're doing binge recording here because it was two weeks for you and now it's gonna be two weeks for me i'm so sorry about my voice i think we're just getting it all out of the way don't say that don't say that don't say that have Um, you ever heard of a jinx melanie knock on this wood knock on this wood and see this is why this is why we need each other because you just said before we started recording because we always get sick at the same time you just said Maybe we're the same person in parallel universes. And I was like, no, we're absolutely not. And that's <laughs> that's a good thing, because if this was two me's, it would be a really boring podcast that wouldn't exist, because I would have quit after two episodes. I love it now, but I I don't have um, stick-to-itiveness in the beginning of things. I normally and, don't see things through, but... And if really it were you, it. it would be jinxed and hexed to hell. <laughs> you're you're not you don't understand when you're just blatantly saying a jinx you don't you're not you're not really that scared of demons you're not scared enough of ouija boards you need me to keep you safe and i need you to keep me interesting speaking of safe did you see what i just posted in our mom group yeah it's not safe yeah it's not safe i'm not happy about it the swamp over here is flooding and now you've got a snack well, there's more than one snakes. There's lots of snakes. Shit. They're just all hanging out. Did I tell I, you about the little I, crawfish? I couldn't survive. No. I was dropping the girls off at school like a week ago, and it was really cute. We were like in the drop-off line, and here comes this little crawfish across the parking lot to the school. Oh, like, I, don't, I don't know about that. It was like, know. oh, it's so adorable. And she told her teacher, and her Teacher's like, oh, it's pro- she's probably carrying her babies no. to a new I spot. I don't know how I feel about your flora and fauna, Melanie. Um, the audio guy landed his butt in the hospital a couple nights ago. He, uh, We thought he was having chest pain. It turned out to be his gallbladder, which sucks, but not as much as chest pain would have. But I had to drop him off and then come back. When he was ready to be discharged, because I couldn't go in with him because I had two kids and a cough. It's not COVID, but still. So when I came back to pick him up, there was a duck just standing in the middle of the the pick up your sick person lane. And he's texting me. And he's like, are you here? And I was like, yeah, I'm here. And so is a duck. <laughs> Ducks, they're out. just like us. Yeah. And he came out and he was like, a duck? And I was like, look. And he was like, oh. 
oh, there is a duck. It was just standing. And then I had to, I had to, it was blocking my way when it was time to leave. I had to drive around it into the other lane right in front of a sheriff. But I'm like, what do you want me to do, sheriff? Run a duck over? No. 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 That's rude. That's messed up. I love nature. I, I mean, I love our nature. I don't think I love your nature at all. That's a big, bad snake. Yeah, we, we've got some weird nature here. I don't know. I dig it. Um, I did see uh, some roadkill the other day that made me a little sad. Made me think of you. What? <gasps> no. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's an armadillo. Oh. Okay. I mean, that does suck. Uh, that does really suck. Uh-huh. Sure but... it does. We, you were like, oh. And as soon as I said Armadillo, you were like, <laughs> record scratch. <laughs> Who cares? It doesn't suck as much as a raccoon. Listen, there are levels. It does suck. I won't be shamed for my love of raccoons. I'm, everyone's constantly trying to shame me for it, and I won't have it. <laughs> Who is shaming you about you raccoon? Think? Tag. Yes, of course, Tag. Yeah. Just everyone. My mom. Everyone. That's it's rude. Awful. It's mean. So, speaking of creatures, yeah, can we jump we into the animal bracket? Let animal crypt. Well, okay, I'm, I guess I'm coming to believe in them. <laughs> <laughs> They're all animals to me now. <laughs> you know, pull it together, pull it together. We're almost done with this bracket, so we have to start thinking about what our next bracket's going to be. Yeah, I know some stuff about next. Well, for us next hour, for everybody else next week, uh, the next week's face-off, and I know that it's a high-stakes one. It is a high-stakes one. People have been talking about this for a while. People have, and I, I've got good news and bad news, but we'll get to that next week slash next hour. Yeah, so, but yeah, if you guys have an idea what our next bracket should be, I threw out some ideas today. Okay. I, I think some of them got shut down. <laughs> I mean, listen. <laughs> but we might be having a Patreon exclusive one. Okay, all if I'm I can get say is everyone Melanie, on board. <laughs> now, Melanie wanted to have classic toys, and I went a different direction with what I thought she meant by that at first. And now she wants to do uh, a triple X Patreon bracket. <laughs> a sex toy bracket would be okay. Wow, I'm trying to be discreet. I'm trying to to be classy, and you're just spilling it. <laughs> you're just spilling it right here for Aunt Beta to listen to. Hey, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I could just see like, like those old massagers going up against like a flashlight. That would be hilarious. Okay, so, okay, so we're doing quirky sex toys. I'm open to that, but let's hear what people come up with. I think that would be a great Patreon one yeah. if you want yeah. to like not have aunt veda listen to it like an after yeah. dark and um, then if you get all if you get all excited you can subscribe to the 20 dollar level which is well you know harry buttholes i didn't say your buttholes harry it's <laughs> melanie's butthole <laughs> i don't know i don't but, know yeah but let us know what our next bracket should be i think toys would be cool like kids toys like Classic, teddy like weird, yeah. teddy ruxpin yeah like what that was the type other of shit one that you came up with conspiracy theories okay i'm into that but i feel like it could get really long i feel like that could be a podcast just on its own yeah 
So help me out. Because then we have to like delve into it. I don't. It could be just kind of like dumb ones. Yeah. I don't know. We'll don't see. Know. Well. Yeah. While we're here, let's let's focus on the one that we have. I guess. Yes. Um. Cryptids. And tonight it's the dingbat versus melon heads. I like this one. I like this matchup. So I'm going to read you from just a very brief section of Cryptid Wiki because I feel like they can explain dingbats better than I can. Dingbat is a fearsome critter from the tales of lumberjacks of North America from the 19th and early 20th, early 20th centuries, particularly in the area of Salt Lake, Wisconsin. It is described as both an avian and mammalian creature with a short feathered body, large wings, and short antlers on its head. The dingbat had the unique ability to eat bullets in midair and was known for pranking hunters by drinking gasoline out of their cars and stealing their ammunition. <laughs> it is also described as resembling a very fast owl. How fast do you have to be? Because owls are pretty fucking fast. They're super fast. So, okay. What a creature. Yeah. I mean, they sound adorable. They are in the pictures. They're adorable. What? What quirky abilities? Eating bullets in midair? Drinking gasoline? I mean, this is clearly just some shitty hunters. How are they drinking? I mean, are they full-on siphoning this gas? I, I, I don't know, I mean, because it doesn't have, like, a hummingbird beak or anything. They'd have to be, so, like, they have to be... Just sucking it, really, maybe? Maybe they've got, like, really, like, suctiony lips and they just wrap it around the gas tank opening just suck it straight out there are huffers friends of recovering <laughs> huffers and they're not recovering <laughs> i mean i do feel like first of all this was very predisposed to win this round for me because i just love the name dingbat and i call my kid a dingbat every day and i i mean like i said this this is very obviously just hunters who do dumb shit leave their car running don't have enough gas miss a shot and they're like well must have been the dingbat bit my bullet out of midair again like (laughs) shut up and in that regard it's dumb but they are cute those are some very quirky abilities and i love their name and i don't like the melon heads they creep me out it's like a flying jackalope yeah so the melon heads are they're like basically it seems like they th- there's a myth about them in multiple states and in every state it kind of comes down to well but it might have been people with hydrocephalus who lived in a mental institution and got released into the woods or lived in some kind of institution and someone did experiments on them or something and that sucks I mean, as far as what what is the likely explanation for both of these cryptids, one is hunters making the most ridiculous excuse for themselves imaginable, and the other is uh, atrocities right. against humanity. And also, I mean, if it's not people with hydrocephalus, they, the drawings just spook me out a little bit. And they're, melon heads, I don't like the name of that. And they're supposed to be kids, but they look like adults. They need a redrawing of melon heads to make it more effective, I think. Yeah, they 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 spook me out. They need a rebrand. Yeah. So, this is an easy one. It's dingbats. Dingbats would have had to have sucked pretty bad for it not to be dingbats, but also dingbats are kind of awesome. So, 
<laughs> this one was easy peasy. Yay, okay. Can I tell you a story? I want to hear a story. I am. I've been waiting to find out what this story is about. So I'm just going to enjoy the ride. Yeah, you know nothing. Okay, I know nothing. Ask me no questions. I'll tell you no lies. Just uh, sit back, pat your belly, and hear a story. You got it. Okay, it's old timey. <gasps> You're doing old timey. I am. Old-timey. I know. Okay, Edwin and Amy were both born in the late 1860s. Mm. Mm-hmm. Amy's dad, Alfred, was a prominent judge and a banker in their Kansas community. Edwin was just a regular attorney, and Alfred, Amy's dad, was super underwhelmed. Edwin was poor. Alfred was wealthy. Edwin's dad was a poor minister. Alfred's dad was a German settler who'd been important and influential in the Lutheran Church in the very early days of America's existence. So there's a there's a big gap here, and Alfred is like, no. He did not approve of their marriage, and he would not give his blessing about it for years. So Amy was 26 when she and Edwin finally got married, which was elderly in that time period. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. That's- yeah, and, and they were trying to get married, and I guess, I don't know, I guess you wouldn't say dating in the like 1880s or 90s, but she's uh, what would they call that the the geriatric millennial? Yeah. <laughs> what are they calling them these days? Yeah, I think it's geriatric millennials. They, so, I mean, they were they were together that whole time for years, and I just don't feel like that really happened then. But Alfred was like, no, absolutely not. So they did get married. And in the heat of summer in 1896, they delivered their first child who was stillborn. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Edwin and Amy conceived again within just a month or two. And then less than a year later, in her father's home, Amy delivered her first living child, a little girl named for both grandmothers who was nicknamed Mealy. Like the bug? No, I was hoping you wouldn't say that, although I was thinking it the whole time. It's spelled M-E-E-L-E-Y. Okay. Two years later, they had baby Grace, nicknamed Pidge, and then their family was complete. Mealy and Pidge were thick as thieves, and their personalities meshed perfectly. Mealy was the more assertive sister, Pidge was her sidekick, Amy and Edwin didn't have much use for gendered expectations, and they were happy to let their girls grow up a little bit feral, despite their family's disapproval, mainly her mom's disapproval, but they, you know, they were just all about the ladylike stuff, but not Amy. <laughs> right. Um, mom, Amy had custom play clothes made for the girls and they gallivanted around outside in bloomers, which were seen as very feminist and radical at the time, just exploring their grandfather's property. Edwin was struggling professionally and developing a major drinking problem, but the girls were able to escape in nature. Basically, Alfred had not been wrong about him at all. <laughs> right. Some. They whiled away their childhoods with dirty feet and grass stains, climbing up trees on sleds, surrounded by wildlife outside. That sounds like the way I grew up. <laughs> yeah, it sounds lovely. I mean, really, at this point in their childhoods, it sounds just idyllic. When she was seven, Mealy enlisted her uncle to help her build a roller coaster. They built <laughs> a ramp. Yeah. They built a ramp and they put it on the roof of their tool shed. And then Fearless Mealy hauled a wooden box up, greased the ramp with lard, and then launched herself inside the box down the ramp. 
And depending on what you consider going well, this either went wonderfully or terribly. She crashed to the ground, completely bruised up, disheveled, clothes ripped, and completely exhilarated. And this planted a seed in her mind. Uh-oh. When the girls were 8 and 10, Edwin's job with the Rock Island Railroad moved him to Iowa. And apparently no one wanted to go with him because he went on his own. Oh, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they weren't divorced, but they were just like, yeah, yeah. let us know how that goes, Edwin. (laughs) The girls were happiest and best provided for at their grandfather's home in Kansas, so they stayed home behind with Amy and their grandparents and their governess. And in addition to being fun, rough-and-tumble girls, they were smart, and they did well in their homeschool lessons. Mealy was a voracious reader, and she passed hours and hours in the study situated inside their home. She also had her eye on a career in a field not well populated with women, but not any one specific field. She had her eye on practically every male-dominated field, including mechanical engineering, law, and film directing. She just wanted to do anything women weren't supposed to do, basically. She wanted to break some glass she ceilings, She wanted to break some glass fucking ceilings, yes. So she scoured the newspapers for articles about women in these fields, and she saved them in a scrapbook from an early age. And after about two years of that happy, enriching lifestyle, Amy and the girls finally followed Edwin to Idaho, where things were very different. In the two years that he lived on his own, Edward's career had improved, his finances had improved, but his drinking had spiraled out of control. They lived in a big house with a household staff, and the girls went to public school for the first time in their lives. Edwin was not really what you would call a functional alcoholic. I don't know. That's probably a problematic term anyway, but it just wouldn't apply to him either way. Right. His drinking became a problem for his job, and seven years after he started it, he was, quote, forced to retire. I didn't even know this was a thing in 1914, but he apparently went to some kind of rehab, which I I wouldn't have thought of. In 1914? Yeah. That's bananas. Yeah, he went to rehab, but the bridges that he had burned at work were unsalvageable. So things at this point, frankly, sucked for Mealy and Pidge. They had been pulled away from their happy lives with their grandparents in Kansas. Their father's life was turning into a slow-motion train wreck that they were being dragged along the tracks behind. The family lost their home. All their belongings were auctioned. And then out of nowhere, their grandmother died. Oh, I can smell the resentment already. Yeah. She left them a lot of money, but she'd also known that Edwin would drink it all and left it in a trust. Edwin couldn't find work. Yeah, I mean, she was right. Edwin couldn't find work. And Amy was just about done with it, and she moved the girls to Chicago to stay with friends. The parents, Edwin and Amy, were off and on for years, in various living situations and hustles ranging from running a boarding house to just living in poverty. Maylie did her own school scouting when she went to Chicago with her mom and Pidge, She was specifically looking for a school with a good science program, and she ended up settling on one that had a longer commute, because she didn't like the chemistry lab at the first one that she toured. She had a terrible, terrible, lonely time there, but she did graduate in 1916. And Mealy had the age-old gifted young adult problem. All kinds of intelligence and ambition, and no idea where to put it. (laughs) Right. She tried college, she dropped out. She got involved with the Red Cross as a nurse's aide in a military hospital in the final years of World War One, which is where she was when the Spanish flu hit in 1918, and she caught it from her patients. 
leading oh. to yeah a two-month hospitalization and a year-long convalescence at Pidge's house. Oh, man. Yeah. Antibiotics were years away from being invented, and she would have a drainage tube in her cheek off and on for the rest of her life. And in after, her cheek? Yeah, because she had sinus surgery because it just jacked up her sinuses so much, and it, it didn't go that well. That's rough. Yeah. So after that, she was accepted to Smith College, said yes to that, then she changed it to Columbia, then she dropped out of Columbia. If anybody listening is a crazy ex-girlfriend fan, Melee was giving me major Heather vibes at this point in things. So this was really a crossroads for her, and one that I'm sure will be super familiar to every adult gifted child who could be good at lots of different things, but nothing is quite it. Sometimes you just say fuck it and start a podcast. But she needed it. She was still looking for her it. And that, Melanie, is when it flew out of the sky and into her face. Which I would say is exactly what all of us with this personality type need. (laughs) Thank you for letting me work out my unresolved issues here tonight. (laughs) Gifted children. (sighs) Rough stuff. (laughs) 33-year-old adult burnout gifted children. Yep. <laughs> really rough stuff. <laughs> um, so she and a friend went to an airfare, which if anyone doesn't know is basically a car show for planes, and very difficult to Google because Google really believes you're misspelling airfare and want to buy plane tickets. <laughs> <sighs> so her and her friend, as they stood alone in a clearing, they were watching a flying ace, is what they called him, doing tricks in a little red plane. And the pilot noticed them, and he saw two young girls that it would be easy to get a rise out of. So he aimed his plane at the two women, and he dove straight at them, expecting them to run. And her friend might have, but Melee wasn't that kind of girl. She planted her feet and stood, staring down the plane as it raced towards them, forcing the pilot to swerve at the last second, so it blew the grass at her feet out of the way. And then that seed that had been planted just continued to grow with the roller coaster. Shortly after this, her parents got back together yet again. Melee flew to California to be with them for a while while she figured out her next move. And the wheels in her mind were beginning to turn. Edwin, her dad, took 23-year-old Melee on an adventure that she'd been wanting to have for a while. It was a $10 ride, which is $150 in today's money, in the airplane of this pilot named Frank Hawks, who was honestly just obscenely handsome. <laughs> and... <laughs> I mean, he was so good looking. There's and, something about old timey handsome. Oh my gosh, I know. I know. I feel like such a creep sometimes. Especially like, like looking old at back. Time, why? Because they're old and dead. It's I like, know. I mean, I when know. you really think about it, it's like especially like old timey stunt pilot handsome. Uh, <laughs> it's a certain look. Um, and this guy was starting like what would be kind of like a Gilderoy Lockhart style aviation career. Like he was just a huge showboat and everything. So he, her dad took her on this $10 ride with Frank Cox. And as the plane climbed, it finally came into focus for Mealy. She remembered her scrapbook of successful women in male dominated fields. She remembered the rush of it when she crashed on the ramp of her homemade roller coaster as a child. She remembered standing in the clearing, watching the red plane approaching her and holding her ground. And that was really just the beginning of it for Mealy, whose full name, by the way, was Amelia Mary Earhart. <gasps> oh! <laughs> yes! 
loved, I love doing that to you. Oh, how did I not know that? I don't know. I think you would. Oh my god, this is so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh, if you see me right now, I'm so like, I'll give you a moment to recalibrate all that with whatever I'm like image pull, you had of Amelia Earhart. My skin on my face down. Oh, don't do like, that. Don't yeah. do that. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yes, I love when you do this. <laughs> Me too. I also feel like an idiot. Why didn't I put that together? I don't know, man. I'm like, she's, she was a baby born named after her two grandmothers. I'm not going to tell you any of the names. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so cool. So, Amelia got down to business immediately working any job that would have her until she scraped together enough money for flying lessons, which was 15 grand in today's money. That's cheap. I guess. I don't know if she was an absolute machine or if somebody had their dates wrong, because according to Wikipedia, her first lesson was six days after her trip up with Frank Hawks. There's no way. I don't know, but it has like specific dates and it says she had to work like various jobs, like five different jobs. I'm like, did she just work one a day? I don't understand. I do know that her mom disapproved, which, like, why are you now disapproving of your kid turning out exactly the way you raised her to be? Right. That makes no sense. But her mom fronted some of the money. She got lessons from Netta Snook. What a name. Another female aviator who was really paving the way at the time. And I don't want to say she just decided she was going to be a pilot. And then there was this abundance of female instructors around because... Like, at the time, women didn't really even drive, much less fly. Fly, yeah. She, yeah, she was part of the first cohort of women who could legally vote. Um, by the time she would get her pilot's license two years later, she would be only the 16th woman in the United States to do that. That's bananas. I know. It took some moxie to do what she was doing and she needed to get herself a little bit of a persona so she cut her hair short and she bought a leather bomber jacket but she didn't want to look like some kind of noob so she went to bed in it for days to make it look broken in (laughs) (laughs) and then she bought a bright yellow two-seater plane and named it the canary she was ready to fly and fly she did 21 months after her first flight, she broke the world altitude record. Is it altitude? It's altitude. It's definitely altitude. altitude. The world altitude record for female pilots. And I absolutely love this next part of her story because it's so real. It's not like, and then she had a linear, illustrious career as a pilot. No, not at all. It was like one step forward, four steps back for years. Like, I mean, forever, honestly. Like it always is in real life. So... In quick succession over the next three or four years, her mom fucked up her inheritance with bad investments and poor management until it finally ran dry. Amelia was forced to sell her two small planes and buy a very, 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 very cool bright yellow speedster that she named the Yellow Peril because she was so cool I could die. Her (laughs) health took a shit with painful complications from the Spanish flu that had happened and she had a surgery that didn't work. 
She set up a photography business. She took her mom on a cross-country trip in the Yellow Peril. She had another surgery that went a little better than the last. She went back to college. She dropped out of college when she ran out of money. She got a job as a teacher. She moved to Massachusetts. She got a job as a social worker working with immigrants. She joined the American Aeronautical Society. She became vice president of the American Aeronautical Society. She invested in an airport. She resumed flying. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Her story is bananas. And I love it. I just love it. She's my girl crush. Yeah. Well, that's a little weird. And we'll get to that later. Because, like, if you tried to tell the story of my life as some kind of linear narrative, do you know how many detour montages you'd have to include? <laughs> what? Like, life is just a string of detour montages. It would just be nothing but that. So she became a sales rep for small planes. She wrote columns in the paper about flying. And things were really popping in the aviation world. And you might as well know, this is the point in my research where I got sick as shit. And when I came back, I was flying high on cold meds. And you can probably spot the tonal shift with things are really popping in the aviation world. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you just love cough medicine? Mm -hmm. I was going to take some tonight and be, I mean, just totally messed up for this, but... It got too late. My kid wouldn't sleep, and I would not have made it. So, Charles Lindbergh made the first flight across the Atlantic in 1927. Everyone thought he was definitely going to die. He didn't die. And a weird aside is that Amelia Earhart and Charles Lindbergh looked strikingly similar. It's odd. Hmm. And they, they were actually marketed that way. Like, she was... Um, he was called Lucky Lindy, and they started marketing her as Lady Lindy and emphasizing how much alike they looked, which is kind of an odd move in this era. Right. Emphasize this. Okay. Another aside concerning this. First of all, so I'm researching this episode, and I'm like, am I crazy or does Amelia Earhart look a lot like Melanie? And I keep thinking this the whole time, like again and again, I keep seeing pictures of her and I'm like, damn, she really looks like Melanie. And it's weird. Okay. First of all, Google her. Second of all, as I'm thinking this, I I go and I'm, I watch a couple documentaries and I was going to watch this movie. I think it was a documentary. I think it was called Amelia. I didn't end up watching it, but I go to watch this movie and I'm like, all right, here we go. And do you guess, guess who plays her? Who? Hillary Swank. Oh my gosh, you and this Hillary Swank. It's not just me, it's the audio <laughs> guy too. It's okay. the hooded eyes, I it, think. No, it's not. It's the entire face. I don't know if anyone else has noticed. No one has ever told me I look like Amelia Earhart right now. Okay, and well that I- that's obscure, I get that. No, I could. I I lo- this is probably my favorite thing. Have you have you I googled her agree. to refresh your memory? I'm googling her right now. Okay, I'm sorry to blow your cover about your Hillary Swank thing. I know you wanted to stay modest, but <laughs> I, I mean it, it's uncanny. It's unsettling. I almost don't even like to watch Hillary Swank movies now because, like, if she's gonna get uh, like killed or banged or something, I don't know if I want to see that. Because it's, it's just you. <laughs> so this whole time, I'm you like... You don't want to see me killed or banged. <laughs> I mean, if I had to pick one, it wouldn't be killed. 
But um, I did rock Amelia Earhart hair for a long time. Okay, tell bullshit. Tell me you don't look like Amelia Earhart just in general. I don't know. So I'm thinking this all through this research, and then I go to watch this movie. I've had this Hillary Swank theory for months, and lo and behold, Amelia Earhart is played by Hillary Swank. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they're trying to figure out this flight across the Atlantic. So there's this billionaire lady named Amy Phipps Guest. She was going to do it, but then she decided it was too dangerous and she was going to finance it instead because a bunch of people, women included, including a princess, had just been killed trying to pull off the same flight. And Amy would have been the first woman as a passenger, not a pilot. She was just like, no woman has ever crossed the Atlantic in a plane before and somebody fly me across. It's going to be me. But her husband got spooked. He was like, no way, this is too spooky. And she was like a multi-billionaire. So she was like, all right, whatever, I'll I'll finance this. So they start scouting around for a female aviator who was pretty, college-educated, wholesome, looked just like Melanie, and unsurprisingly, they landed on Amelia. <laughs> so we know enough about her to know, obviously, she was up for it, but unfortunately, it wasn't immediately all it was really cracked up to be. She made the flight as a passenger, keeping the flight log. And at the end, she said she was just baggage, like a sack of potatoes. But yeah. she, yeah, I mean, fair enough. But she was becoming a very damn famous sack of potatoes. She wrote a book. She gave lectures across the country. She became known as Queen of the Air. She got product lines and luggage, women's fashion, cigarettes, which was controversial. She had positions on various boards and committees in aviation and a very public image. But really what she wanted was glory, honestly. She right. Had, yeah, she... What's the point if if not for the glory? I mean, are you Amelia Earhart? <laughs> because you, you might be. She had her eye on that transatlantic milestone, only one that was all hers, a solo flight. She continued smashing records, going places... Around this time, she may or may not have had a fling with Eleanor Roosevelt. I don't know if you know. I don't know if anyone knows. But from what, what is... I've, I mean, I've heard that. that. About Eleanor Roosevelt? I mean, she seemed like she was pretty much confirmed to be, like, not even a little bit straight. Yeah, I... No, I did know that. But for some reason in my head, I don't know if it's because... they. I have two very different mental pictures of these ladies. Um... <laughs> What's the age difference on that? You know, Amelia was born in the 1890s, so I can just look up Eleanor Roosevelt. Because my brain is doing backflips right now where I'm like, it just feels like Eleanor Roosevelt in my timeline was like way older. No, she was born in 1884. So, I mean, about 10 years older. That's not bad. No. No. It's not, I mean, you and Cody are what, like 30 years apart? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no i'm 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 almost 10 years older than him. i'm his eleanor oh but you're really amelia <laughs> <laughs> so before undertaking a solo flight across the atlantic she did become the first woman to fly solo across north america and back she was renowned and respected by basically everyone she got involved with so many historically important flying organizations that it would be, it feels wrong to leave them out, but it would be truly just tedious to list them all. 
Her story involves so many firsts and records that it's almost hard to tell her story. It's just so incredibly extensive. I could talk for literally probably half an hour just reciting her professional accomplishments. And it would just, I mean, it would, your eyes would glaze over, which I feel bad saying that like it's minimizing what she accomplished. I don't mean it like that at all. It's just, it's a lot. Yeah. So I'm not going to do that, but I will instead tell you some things about her. Like that she listened to the broadcast of the Metropolitan Opera from New York while flying. She had freckles and she didn't like them. She was funny. She often attempted flights where previous pilots had died trying or competed in events where competitors died during the event. She had gray eyes. She was instructed to smile with her mouth closed in promotional photos to hide the gap in her front teeth. That's fucked up. I know. She flew in men's underwear because they were easier to pee in from the cockpit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you can't help yourself, can you? (laughs) Her love life is a bit similar to her early professional life, and it is just impossible to know exactly why that is. And there's nothing wrong or abnormal about being just ambivalent about marriage, but I think it was a little bit unusual for the era. And I can't confirm it, but I want to avoid erasure by just creating space for unknowns at this part of her story, because it is very much speculated that she was not heterosexual. Um, right. There's really very little confirmation of that. It's It was rumor, it was speculation. I, I don't, I can't say... Hey, Amelia Earhart was not heterosexual, but I feel like it is uh, likely enough that I would not be doing the right thing by leaving that out. Right. She accepted a proposal from an engineer named Samuel who lived with the family when they ran a boarding house, and then she ended it after like a few years. She had a publisher named George that she spent a lot of time with. And after George's divorce in the late 1920s, he was determined to marry Amelia. She was not determined to marry him. (laughs) She declined five proposals from him before finally accepting on the six, which eh, I don't know if I love that. No, I don't love that at all. No, she was 34 when they married and she gave him this letter on the day of their wedding, hand delivered it. Every source has a different bit quoted, but This thing really just needs to be read in its entirety because, wow, it says, Dear GPP, there are some things which should be writ before we are married, things we've talked over before, most of them. You must know again my reluctance to marry, my feeling that I shatter thereby chances and work which means the most to me. I feel the move now just as foolish as anything I could do. I know there may be compensations, but I have no heart to look ahead. On our life together, I want you to understand that I shall not hold you to any medieval code of faithfulness, nor me to me, nor shall I consider myself bound to you similarly. If we can be honest, I think the difficulties which arise may best be avoided should you or I become interested deeply or in passing in anyone else. Please let us not interfere with the other's work or play, nor let the world see our private joys or disagreements. In this connection, I may have to keep some place where I can go to be myself now and then, for I cannot guarantee to endure at all times the confinements of even an attractive cage. I must exact a cruel, cruel promise, and that is that you will let me go in a year if we find no happiness together. 
I will try to do my best in every way and give you that part of me you know and seem to want. A.E. Wow. Right? I love her. I know. She's so cool. Yeah. Just there's so much respect for somebody that just... Yeah. Yeah. So Tells it how it is. Yeah. In the heyday of her career, Amelia began making plans and shorter test runs for an attempt to circumnavigate the globe. It was done solo for the first time in 1933 by a pilot in Wiley Post, and Amelia badly wanted to be the first female pilot to complete it. If she succeeded according to her flight plan, she would be the first pilot of any gender to do it along the equator. She wanted the glory, and she also wanted the financial security. Her dad's alcoholism and her parents' financial instability had left her with this thirst for financial stability that was just never really quenched. She had been chasing it her entire career, but unfortunately she was in aviation and the cost of buying, maintaining, and repairing planes that could be competitive was just a black hole. She was supporting her mother financially, just like her grandfather had when she was a child, and she resented it. The flight was extremely controversial. Like, extremely. I don't think people realize this today. Some people said that it was an expensive joyride. They said it was pointless when the record had been repeatedly set on easier flight plans and commercial Trans-Pacific flights were already a thing. People didn't like the extreme taxpayer expense that a search would warrant if her plane went down. Um, One of the people who had helped get her career started said she was, quote, caught up in the hero racket. One article, yeah, one article that I read called her a martyr to her own ambition. Very few were a fan of it, even if they were a fan of her. And I mean, these to a degree, these sound like valid criticisms, but I do want to just take a moment and ask if they would be made if she were a man. Probably not. No, I don't think they would have. The planning process to go across, uh, to, to go around the globe at the equator was a mess. Amelia and a small crew attempted it in March and they made it to Hawaii and they crashed during takeoff for their next leg. And their most knowledgeable radio operator bailed because things were just too chaotic with the whole thing. It was just, it was a mess and he, he didn't want anything to do with it anymore. Amelia herself was completely unfazed. She wrote, has the accident shaken your confidence? That question has been asked to me several times today. The answer is very clear in my mind. Nothing has happened to change my attitude toward the original project. Instead, I feel better about the ship itself than I ever have, and I am more eager than ever to fly it again. In pioneer flying, one has to take the rough with the smooth. The accident was just one of those things. It might have been so much worse, and I'm really very thankful. Not until the crippled plane is brought back to the Lockheed plant here in Burbank will I know the true extent of her injuries or the time required to cure them. They set out again in May, and it was just Amelia and one crew member at this point, Fred. He was on the original team before the other guy dropped out, and he was sticking around. This time they were flying the opposite direction than their previous flight plan. This was to avoid some of the bad weather that had made their March attempt not a success. Unfortunately, Amelia's navigator Fred was a heavy drinker on the ground, but a talented navigator in the air, I guess, theoretically. Amelia, unfortunately, Amelia or Fred, neither one of them knew Morse code, which would have been good to know. But they were down that guy, it was just two of them. And they were strategizing about this when they were planning what to bring as far as equipment. 
Because if a piece of equipment wasn't useful to at least one of them, there wasn't much point in taking it. So they shed their code transmitter to save weight, since neither one of them really knew how to use, I don't think, any wireless code. And they were ready to go. It was a 29,000-mile journey. And the first 22,000 took over a month and went off relatively without incident. And then their final landing before the last leg was in New Guinea. Amelia sent a telegram home to her husband, George, that said, radio misunderstanding and personnel unfitness probably will hold one day. There was only one member of personnel, so most likely Fred was drunk (laughs) or hungover. And all that was left was the final 7,000-mile leg, the flight over the Pacific Ocean. Now, one of the drawbacks of going the opposite direction around the globe than they had originally attempted was that this final leg was the hardest, and now it was placed at the end of this grueling days-long journey, which is not, I mean, weeks-long journey, really. Yeah, I'd want to get rid of that. Yeah, so they... From the jump. They saved it for last. The calculations had been carefully laid out as far as weight and fuel and distance, which was all obviously vitally important. Amelia planned to fly 2,200 miles and land on Howland Island, which is about halfway between Hawaii and Australia. No one had ever landed on Howland Island before for what it was worth. And I mean, I don't think it's too big of a spoiler to say no one ever has. The journey would require about 500 to 600 gallons of fuel, but to be safe, 900 were recommended. The plane could hold 1150. Flying with less on the lower end would save weight. Flying with more would buy them time in the air if anything went wrong. They took off with 1,100 gallons of fuel on July 2nd, 1937 at 10 a.m. The Coast Guard had a small ship called a Cutter waiting for them at Howland, the island they were headed for. Unfortunately, they had communication issues with the Cutter for most of the flight. They flew for over 14 hours, which had to have been exhausting for Amelia and Fred, and was definitely alarming for the Cutter, who spent hours transmitting to their plane, only to realize that out of all of those hours, only one transmission had ever been received. Ooh. Yeah. And they finally received a hard-to-understand transmission from Amelia about cloudy weather, and then a transmission that said, We must be on you, but cannot see you. Gas is running low. Been unable to reach you by radio. We are flying at a thousand feet. And then they said, We are circling but cannot see island, cannot hear you. They could tell from, yeah, they could tell from the strength of her signal, at least they thought they could, that she was close. It was so strong at one point that they ran out onto the deck of the ship to look for her, but they didn't see her. She couldn't see them. There were no clouds at Howl, and that's the weird thing. She kept saying there was cloudy weather, but there there wasn't. There were clouds 30 miles northwest. So, it's possible that they just miscalculated where they were supposed to be. They were using, basically during the day, they were using dead reckoning to calculate their location. And at night, they were using uh, celestial navigation. So mm-hmm. you know, it's definitely possible to be off. She told the Coast Guard that she was low on fuel. And the cutter well, just... Yeah, because she's yeah. like circling around. Yep. The cutter helplessly transmitted to Amelia for hours. They could hear her, but she couldn't hear them. Finally, she transmitted that she was going to continue running north and south, but hours passed on the island as the mood changed for the crowd of spectators gathered to watch her land. She never landed. 
At 8.43 a.m., radio contact was lost, and Amelia Earhart was never seen or heard from again. So, what could have happened? Theories aren't really... I, I, I had it in my head that there was just, like, piles and piles of what happened to Amelia Earhart theories. And there's not really that many, actually. <laughs> Do you... They're eaten by giant crabs. Yeah, th- I mean, that's that's one. So... There was that breaking one just, what, like, a year and a half, two years ago? Where know. they think she, like, crash-landed on an island and was... That's not really that... Held captive. Captain, yeah, right? kind of. I mean, there. I didn't really even get into that one because it was just, I don't think it's very credible. Um, that was basically that she was captured by the Japanese Navy and either imprisoned or killed. But it just really seems like everything supporting that is flimsy or debunked or just not good. The main theory that a lot of people have is very straightforward. She just ran out of fuel crashed into the ocean her plane could have been broken up by waves easily and quickly and then maybe she got eaten by sharks the second main theory is the gardner island theory which i think is interesting gardner island is about 350 nautical miles south of howland it's surrounded by coral that would have been possible for a plane to land on And according to the New Yorker, the island itself was, quote, covered with dense tropical vegetation bordering a lagoon. It is possible that Amelia and Fred could have survived on the island for a few days or weeks before succumbing to the elements. In 1940, some people on the island found some items seeming to belong to both men and women, including freckle cream. Oh, shit. She hates her freckles. No one knows for sure if she used freckle cream or not, but we know she had freckles and she didn't like them. And human bones. Now, this this is just infuriating to me. The bones have been examined by multiple forensic anthropologists and the results in the person's height, sex, and race are completely opposite. Like, what? People are like, oh, it's a man. Oh, no, it's a woman. Oh, they're six feet tall. No, they're five seven. Oh, they're, they're European. No, they're not European. It, it's, it, it's ridiculous. I don't, I don't understand this. And the really frustrating thing is that it doesn't seem like a couple of people are like, well, you know, in my professional opinion, it's this. Well, in my professional opinion, I don't agree. It seems like everybody either is a quack or is calling the other guy a quack. Huh. <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. It's infuriating. I mean, they're, come on. Like, this th- This feels more solvable than it is. I don't feel personally qualified to evaluate the credentials or motives of any of these people. It seems like a lot of mudslinging. It's, it's irritating to me. <laughs> but, so I'm not, I don't really have an opinion on that, but some of the belongings are pretty interesting, like the freckle cream. I obviously... I don't know. I don't even have a guess as to what would have happened, but I do feel like on some level, Amelia would have been almost okay with it. Shortly before her flight, a friend and colleague told her that he thought she had 50-50 odds. And she agreed and said she was only concerned for Fred's sake because, quote, as far as I know, I've only got one obsession, a small and probably typically feminine horror of growing old. So I won't feel completely cheated if I fail to come back. Hmm. I'm really confused, though. Like, can't you get... This is probably such a dumb question. Can you get DNA from bones? You know, 
I, I guess not, because I read a few things. I mean, I maybe not that old. I would think you could from Fresh Bones. But, you know what, let me Google this. I should have Googled this sooner. Because I kept running into things where they were like, well, we have the bones and we can't get a clear answer from that. If only we had DNA. So, I mean, I guess Where not. are the bones? Who has the bones? I think they've been lost. Are you kidding no. me? They're hanging out with the moon landing tape. <laughs> Any body tissue that has not been degraded is a potential source of DNA. Bone is one of the best sources of DNA from decomposed human remains. But I mean, oh. maybe it's just that they're lost now that we have DNA. That must be it. Can DNA be found in old bones? Possibly. Are they lost or is somebody so afraid of being proven wrong that they have them You hidden? know... Given the personalities involved in this, I think it's completely possible. That's the story of Amelia Earhart. There are a couple of addendums at the end that I I don't really want to spend a lot of time getting into because it's kind of a rabbit hole. But if you are interested in this, it's a rabbit hole that is kind of fun to fall down. One of them is that in like 2014, there was this pilot named Amelia Rose Earhart who did a commemorative flight that was basically the same flight path. And she, Aww. yeah, she was named Amelia Earhart because her mom wanted to call her Amy, but have something more grown up for her to fall back on when she was an adult. And then, you know, she, everyone was just like, Oh, Amelia Earhart her whole life. So she ended up just giving flying a try and ended up loving it. It, it seems like there was some controversy about just the level of publicity. I guess you would say, I don't know that it was all that well received, but I, it does seem like she did a commemorative flight based on the original Amelia Earhart's flight plan. And that's that's kind of an interesting sidebar. No, there, that's cool. Yeah, there's some reading to do about it. But more interesting to me is this other, it's not quite a conspiracy theory, but I guess you would say it's a piece of evidence that some people consider more credible than others called Betty's Journal. And it's that basically when Amelia Earhart was missing... This teenage girl named Betty was radio station surfing in her house in Florida, which think about where that is in relation to halfway between Hawaii and Australia. Right. Just surfing the radio in Florida. And she heard a woman's voice say, this is Amelia Earhart. And she heard all these distress calls and this whole conversation with who she took to be Fred and she had this notebook out because she was drawing these just like adorable 1930s teenager doodles of like glamorous woman faces and she had her journal on she just started writing down everything she heard in snippets of conversations and it lasted a while and it it definitely supports that they landed alive and were injured and I don't know. Not everyone believes it. Because- so is she like transcribing it? Yes. And you can see pages from her journal and it's so cool. She just recently died. But it, it I don't think everyone believes it because it, some of the details are fuzzy. And I think that some people find it a little bit suspicious that it transmitted that far and it maybe shouldn't have. But I don't really understand why that's so weird because it said that Betty could pick up radio signals from all around the world. And that's why it was kind of significant. And she stopped when she heard an English speaking voice. 
And there are just, like, it's such a rabbit hole, I can't even get into it. I've never heard of it. That is cool as hell. Yeah, you should look into it. You would love it. And But one detail that I was just like, oh my god, is that people for a while thought that they heard somebody say New York City over again, over and over again on it, and they didn't understand why that would be. But it turned out that the SS Norwich City was a freighter that had washed up on the reef right outside Gardner Island. And they may have, she may have landed there and been saying like, Oh my God, it's the Norwich city. It's the Norwich city. (gasps) And she, Betty may have misheard that as New York city. Yeah. And in that context, if it turns out to be that, and it really was Amelia and Fred, like these last transmissions are just heartbreaking, just devastating. So, Definitely, if this is interesting to you at all, look up Betty's journal. I, I, I honestly, the part of the reason I didn't get into this more is because I got a little bit intimidated by um, a thing at the top of the page. There's really like only one place you can find the like the original stuff about it, and I got kind of intimidated about something that said that any attempt to like reproduce this isn't implied or granted and i was like what about talking about a podcast so i didn't want to read it verbatim but it's very interesting i don't think it means that but i don't know so look up betty's journal amelia Earhart. it is so interesting oh i can't wait to do a dive into that yeah it would be a good one for our social media because i think a lot of people would be really interested in that yes let's discuss let's do it i like it it's Betty's Journal Book Club. Yes. Yes. yes Mark yes. Safe Edition. Yes. I won't say we'll talk about it next week because next week's going to happen in about 20 minutes, but <laughs> we'll talk about it the week after that. We'll talk about it in the Horrible Ghouls Facebook group. I love it. All right. You want some disaster relief? Always. What you got? Okay. I'm fighting the urge to say mine's kind of dumb. <laughs> because oh my okay okay let me rephrase that mine's kind of 33 years old because it's a carpet cleaner (laughs) i have what is wrong with that that's awesome that's how you know you're an adult what kind of carpet cleaner okay i got a hoover smart wash automatic carpet cleaner machine with spot cleaner spot chaser stain remover wand shampooer machine for pets it's purple it's so good it's also 27% off on Amazon right now, and you can get it on monthly payments. And I've had it since January, and I have wanted to recommend it this whole time because I love it. But I didn't because I wanted to be sure I actually loved it as much as I thought I did. And sometimes uh, carpet cleaners are real great for the first couple of uses, and then it's kind of like, eh. And, you know, the more... I think yeah, I think things get kind of gunked up on the inside, but you have to clean it pretty thoroughly after each use. But I mean, that's a small price to pay because it does an amazing job. I love it. I was gonna say the more you use it, the more it sucks. But then that's what you kind of want to do. That is what you want. Yeah, no, it it does an amazing (laughs) job, and I've been on the market for a good carpet cleaner for years because I have animals and kids. Um my family has had various ones and I've just borrowed theirs sporadically once in a while I get a rug doctor I've been kind of underwhelmed by all of them even the rug doctors you can rent so I was like I don't really want to pay like a few hundred dollars for something that I'm just going to feel the same way I feel about a rug doctor about and I could you know rent it for 30 bucks and not have to store it but rug doctors freak me out why 
I don't know. I just feel like, I mean, surely people that rent them kill people oh, and I'm yeah. just spreading DNA all over my house. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think that would be easy to eliminate you if that happened. Um, would it? Well, I, <laughs> shit, I don't know what you're up to. But now I have my own and it's everything I dreamed of and it's way better than a rug doctor. And I'm very, very happy with it. So I recommend it. I'm happy for you. I love getting new like appliances and um i like to call them house tools yeah house tools i like that me too yeah it's good stuff well what's yours i got my van finally (gasps) yeah that's kind of a house tool yes okay that's yeah that's a an adulting relatively large purchase much larger than a carpet cleaner but still i feel like we're on theme here yes i've been wanting this i've been wanting a honda odyssey for years now years and years and years my car that i did have was getting really close to kicking the bucket the brakes are going out on it and makes real loud noises when i drop the kids off it's super embarrassing because it's like you know what i mean (laughs) yep that's exactly Um, why we replaced our van a few months ago (laughs) and um you know we got another kid coming so it's like there's just no room like we need there's gonna be how many of us seven i think now so yeah yeah. (laughs) so but yeah we've been trying to buy um the Honda Odyssey forever. And then COVID happened and it was just like impossible to find one. And so finally we were just like, well, maybe we'll just order a brand new one. Like, you know, like a build your own type deal. Yeah. And, um, they wouldn't even, they stopped production. You couldn't even build your own minivan. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this is crazy. Like we finally have saved up money to purchase a new car and we can't even get one and um turns out that there's a specific chip for this fan um and the factory that it's made in caught on fire well i think we should do an episode about that (laughs) i know i need to find out what happened so so this there's like you can't buy the honda odyssey like the brand new ones because of a factory fire so a disaster a disaster was keeping me from my van for a long time and one popped up and we found it and cody drove two hours to buy me my dream van and i'm very happy well i'm very happy for you and i love your picture with it with your count dante t-shirt Yes, Ali sent me. Yes, and I have mine as well, and I am obsessed with it. And I wore it all day today until, well, honestly, until my six-year-old blew her nose on me. Um, but I wore it all day, and I was like, I gotta take a picture of this for the, the Facebook group. And then I realized I was free boobing it, and probably, probably shouldn't. So that, or you probably should. Well, I mean, listen, don't hit on me on air, Melanie. <laughs> my husband edits this. <laughs> Did you like the package that I sent your shirt? Because um, it was everything flat comes to our and cute. Yeah, so everything comes to the PO box here in Louisiana, and then I pack up whatever goes Brand's way and mail it off. And they had the cutest old man brown yes. and blue plaid 
envelope mailer. Yes, I loved it. I did. I noticed that specifically. I was like, well, this is this is a happy thing in my mailbox. And then I realized what it was, and it was even happier. And can I tell you, it never gets old impressing a 12-year-old with, what's that? Oh, it's just fan mail. It never it's gets just old. Fan. It never gets old. <laughs> I feel like I have a little bit more authority after that. So thank you, Allie. <laughs> thank you, Allie. All right. Well, we probably should wrap this up so we can unwrap the next episode. Heck yes. All right. Sweet dreams or no dreams, think, but not really. No, I think you mean sweet podcast or no podcast. <laughs> sweet podcast, no podcast. Hey, Horrible Ghouls, hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your personal MarkSafe moment, you can send it to us at MarkSafePodcast at gmail.com. Please give our podcast a rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your buddies about us too. That goes a long way. If you want to further elevate your support, check out our MarkSafe Patreon page, where we have shoutouts, goodies, and some bonus content in the works. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again, and as always, stay safe.